playing at your full potential is possible. It's elusive if we play it through the human mindset path. We can't get there. Goal setting is not goal achievement. But if we know how to achieve goals, we know how to prepare, we know how to perform, we have the right goal, we have the champion's mindset. We know the challenges that are coming so we don't misinterpret them and talk ourselves out of great things. You know, then we really have a chance to move up the ladder towards our full potential. And that's why I'm still in the game. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyberg, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Jeff Spencer, I'm so excited to have you on Muscle Medicine Podcast. You are called part doctor, part guru, part medicine man. Very cool. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now I have something to aspire to. Okay. Um, so when you were 11 years old, you made a commitment to a dream. And that dream was to go to the 1972 Olympics as a cyclist which I think as an 11 year old is like, wow, what, <laughs> what in your childhood drove you to manifest that dream? Well, actually when I was seven, uh, I just thought it'd be the coolest thing ever to be an Olympian and march into the stadium on the opening day ceremony parade. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. It was just, I thought that'd be the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And I was a really an athletic kid, anything that involved jumping, throwing, whatever. I, I was hundred percent in. Then uh, by good fortune, there were some older guys in my neighborhood that rode bicycles and I was maybe seven or eight years younger than them. And I went on a bicycle ride with them. And at the end of 25 miles, they were tired and I wasn't. So there was a little indication that there was something different here. And that was the genesis. And then I discovered, well, I, I can become an Olympian by becoming an Olympic cyclist. And I drew up my little plan. My plan was kind of really simple. I was going to be completely dedicated. I was going to work hard. I was never going to give up and I was never going to make any excuses. And that was my plan. And I had amazing help from just the most amazing mentors. And 10 years later, I, I became an Olympian. So that's how that happened. So I'm picturing you as a seven-year-old mm -hmm. making a plan, committing to training and dedication. I would mm -hmm. say that most seven-year-olds I know don't I don't know, have that mindset <laughs> yet? I don't know. Is that, where, where did that come from? Yeah, I think part of it's my family. My dad was a creative genius, literally. Uh, my mom was very talented, but they, they weren't really involved in my life in the sense that they provided a playground for me to explore. And I had the initiative. I, I've never, I've got the self-start gene. And so I just started exploring everything. And I, I never learned the word can't. And I didn't have an imposition on me that was trying to shape and mold me to become anything. So I was really lucky with that. And I was gifted with a personality that could take instruction and I'm, I'm not malicious. Like for example, I'm never motivated in anything I do to show people that I can do it because they said I can't. I mean, that, that's not my motivation. You know, my motivation is just that let's explore what's out there. There's a big world and great opportunities and uh, I just have the inclination to do it. And that's how that happened. I don't, I don't know. What do you think it was in your childhood? Because I would say most people do not have that mindset of can't is not in my vocabulary rising above to challenges where was that learned 
I, I think it was actually inherent in me because I've always had, I've had two things within me. Number one is that I've got the self-starting gene and I, I'm, I'm very committed. When I get the call to do something, I'm 100% in and I know what 100% is only because it comes naturally to me. And the other side of me is that I have a really good sense of self-awareness and I can look at what the consequences of choices are in the future. And therefore, I'm able to kind of steer myself with the least friction to get from where I am to where I want to go. But I really want to emphasize something here is that to become an Olympian, that, that was not to showcase me, uh, to show everybody how great I was. That, that was. That's never been a motivation for me in anything that I've done. It's always been about to honor the opportunity to express the talents as we're all gifted with. And I feel like we're really honor bound to do that. That's why we're here on this earth. And there are 7 billion people on this earth right now, and there's only one of us, and there's always room at the top for the best. And I just feel that we really have an obligation to develop our talents and manifest them to do several things. Number one, to honor the privilege, but also to showcase to other people what's possible and that we all have our unique gifts and we're not in competition with each other. Yeah. Why do you think, because I've heard this before, of like creating a life of value in giving back and contribution. Why do you think that's so important? Because it's one thing to think it, and it's one thing to like really live it. Yes. Well, I certainly feel that if there's ever time in human history where we need examples of what humans are capable, it's now. Because, you know, I see people, well, we're not going to have children. Well, why not? Well, because of global warming, you know, the the world's going to self-destruct in 12 years. So why not? Let's just go out and spend all our money. Why do anything? And I say, well, you know, hold on a second here. We don't know that. And it's not about global warming or climate change. It's really about us. And, you know, to me, people say, well, you know, wasn't it just a huge sacrifice? Look what you gave up. Are you crazy? Giving up is when you don't accept the honor and the privilege of being able to explore your uniqueness. To me, that's the breach of the human experience. And I feel like now more than ever, there need to be demonstrable, observable displays of high potential that call people to a higher game. And then there's the second half of that is that, okay, I'm called to this game. How do I know if I have the right goal? How do I prepare to get started to achieve it? I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed by all the things that have to go right here. And that's kind of where I come into it too, because I've created the program that really answers that question. And I just feel like we should live a life that is fulfilling because we stepped into it. We kind of believe that we deserve to have tranquility of being because we've taken an active role in initiative in looking at our talents and have been committed to be able to produce those. And I see people walking around frowny face they they are they're desperate seriously i've spent my entire life dispelling one single myth that has created two massive roadblocks that myth is goal setting equals goal achievement it doesn't goal setting is only goal setting goal achievement is the manifestation of the goal itself and because of that you know myth there are two serious roadblocks number one is that we can't achieve our goals consistently, predictably, and repeatedly because we haven't learned a methodology to do that. We've only set a goal. Now, how do we even know it's the right goal? 
And the second roadblock is that there's no way that anybody can manifest their full potential just by thinking good thoughts and waiting for it to come to us. You know, there has to be an active process that we can invest our time, effort, and our confidence in that has historically proven itself to take us from where we are to where we want to go. And I feel, I just see people really disempowered right now. They don't have any belief, you know, what the heck, the world's going to self-destruct anyhow, so what the hell. And I just, man, we got to play offense right now, in my opinion. You know, we got to go on the offense. We got to put on the armor every day. We got to put on the war paint and we got to get stuff done, man. You know, we got to create a, a life of self-value and, and, and purpose that allows us to have that richness. And that's how we call people to a higher game. You know, it's not wagging your finger and giving everybody else a lecture on what you should be doing. Man, let me, sh- let me see a demonstration of this. That's the way I, f- I feel about it. And this, this process is your champion's blueprint. It's the goal achievement roadmap, actually. Goal achievement roadmap. Okay. Yeah. You say you're an artist first. You're a sculptor Correct. of people and achievement, and you've worked with Correct. some tremendous high performers like Tiger Woods and Lance Armstrong and big companies. And by observing these high performers and like basically, it's, it's, to me, it seems like data collecting and what is consistent through their processes. Yeah, that's correct. Because uh, high performance, it's not an accident. You know, we look right. at people that win and play big. We think, oh, well, you know, they're gifted. They have the right genes and, you know, they came from the right family. Garbage. It's like we all come from tough. You know, I don't care who you are. <laughs> and we've got to find our own way. Being a student of humanity, and it's not exactly like I've just observed. I'm not, I'm not the guy that's interviewed a thousand billionaires so I can become a billionaire expert. I'm the right. guy that's helped athletes that have a lot of potential win gold medals and rock bands make platinum albums, you know. And so, you know, I've been in the high performance world for, got it. I mean, almost like 55 years as a participant and as an advisor. And there are certain consistencies that, that surface here. And let me kind of share a couple. Yeah. Like the champion's golden rule is you do the homework and the test is easy. So prepare. Yeah. You got to prepare to perform. Yeah, and, yeah. and how you prepare is exactly how you perform. That, you know, people think, well, no, you just show to show up and make it up as you go. We'll just let life unfold and we'll trust the universe to fill in all the gaps. So it's a great idea. And I'm a big fan of that because there is divine revelation and inspiration. But, you know, there's the nuts and bolts of it that the champions in all disciplines, this isn't about sports. It's about business. It's about entertainment. It's about life itself. There is a structure here, you know, and, and I've identified that there are two divisions and 10 steps to consistently and predictably and repeatedly achieve our goals. And it all starts with how you prepare. And there are five steps in preparation. And there are five steps in how you perform to start checking off your goal achievements that start to amass for you a, a very memorable legacy. Can you share some of the steps under preparation? Because I think a lot of people think, I'm just going to go in and wing it. For example, like in public speaking situations or going to meet with a client to pitch yeah. them or share with them what you're offering. And, you know, the adrenaline will get me by the seat of my pants and I'll perform amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, the track record for that is about zero. <laughs> and the, the truth of it is, if you look at like spontaneous healing or if you look at uh, gold medal achievement, you ask the athletes how they did it. And they say, I don't know. I just showed up and I did it. Well, yeah, well, that's because all of their preparation led to that. You know, your performance is solely dictated by your preparation. 
And again, the mythology of goal achievement is so rampant. To me, it's tragic because a lot of the things that are being said out there about how you should achieve your goals, it's not true. It's not accurate. So people try all these things and they don't achieve the goals. They think, well, something's wrong with me because I can't achieve it. Well, if you look at the model, you can see it can't possibly deliver on it. So for me, when we talk about preparation, there are some really key things here. And the place that it really starts is with goal clarity, which is step number one in my process. And goal clarity is everything because when we know we have the right goal, you know, there are plenty of smart goals out there, but smart goals don't mean you have the right goal. Well, I've actually created a process for exactly. that. Yeah. yeah. R-I-G-H-T, right. It's got to be relevant. I, there have to be indicators that it's the right goal. Yeah. There has to be a gravity between you and it. The size of the goal has to be exciting to your mind, body, and soul. And it's got to be the right time to pursue it. You've got to have the time to make it happen. And you've got to be patient to manifest what can be manifested if you are diligent you know, with the timing. So for me, right goal is everything. Because if you don't have the right goal, you don't have the passion and the focus to be able to get things done because we're ambiguous and our mind wanders and we're not sure. And then we eat a gallon of ice cream, you know, and then we think about it more and then we eat a box of M&Ms. You know? <laughs> and so we're stalled and then we get anxious about that. Then we try harder and everything blows up because we're tripping over everything. I mean, that's sort of a classic script. How do you help people find clarity? Because I think that first step is so important, but it's also probably the one of the most challenging because you know we're constantly bombarded with information and to get like really clear and grounded and commit to the clarity of the goal is tricky it feels like a lot and i feel i meet people who are still trying to find clarity after decades of searching Right. Well, that's why I've created the right goal criteria because it's, it's a very vigorous process that you take your goal and I call it a provisional goal because I think unless it's been vetted as the right goal, it's still a provisional goal where you're just kind of checking out. And so the right goal criteria will define for you whether or not you do have the right goal and it's vigorous. It holds you accountable for answering very specific questions about the goal itself, because when we have the right goal, our mind, body, and soul are in complete alignment with it, or enough alignment with it to pursue it. And you know it because you feel it, because you've gone through the process of properly vetting it. And I feel people don't do that. They just, when they create a goal in their own mind, they see a picture of the outcome. Oh yeah, me with the you know 27,000 square foot house, me with the new boat. I mean, that's what they're thinking but they don't have a real relationship with the goal. I mean, you almost have to have a love affair with your goal to be committed to do what has to go right to achieve it. And I just feel like this has been grossly neglected. And so people uh, live their lives in ambiguity floating. So the first step in my process is goal clarity, because when you have the right goal, you have GOCUS and GOCUS is Goal focus, the ability to hyper-focus on the stuff in front of you to get stuff done because you know it's the right goal. If you know the right goal, then you're wondering and you're worrying about everything. Yeah. I'm spending all this time and effort. Is this really going to work? Well, that's an indication that we haven't done the right preparation, which is classic. Yeah. And, you know, the other side of GOCUS, hyper-focus gets stuff done to move forward towards goal achievement, but we also have total peripheral awareness and vision, which means that 
Well, we're hyper-focused. See, everybody says you got to be hyper-focused. Yeah, well, if you're hyper-focused, two things you risk. A blind side that you don't see is coming. That can wipe you off the face of the earth. The other thing that you may be missing is that in process, sometimes better options show up in our conscious awareness that take us to a goal correction that actually leads to a bigger and better goal. But if we're too hyper-focused, like everybody says that we should be, then we're going to miss both of those. And then what happens, you become a goal technician. Rather than a goal artist, you're just rigidly following things like a technician would. You're not the artist that's finessing things and making things better as things evolve. And that's why this is important. And then there's two other steps. If you want to truly vet your goal, we go through the first three steps of my program. We determine goal clarity in step one. Do we have the right goal? Is our mind, body, and soul in alignment with this? Do we have GOCUS? Great. Check the box. Step two, you know, why are we doing this? What are our motives? Because when we understand the motives and we've really looked at it and challenged ourselves against it, not just making these loose assumptions, what that does, that gives us drive. Because again, it fortifies our relationship with it. And if you don't have drive in life, well, don't plan on having the best possible legacy that you can create. And then the third thing is step number three, impact. Take the time and really look at the impact of your goal on yourself, on humanity, on other people, and the physical universe around us. And the reason why that's important is that it gives you purpose, meaning that you have a core commitment to be able to start and achieve your goal. And without GOCUS, and without drive, and without purpose, it's going to be very hard to create a life that manifests your potential. And that's why, again, I've selected these, because this is what history has told me is necessary to create the relationship with our highly aspirational goals to be able to manifest them. Going back to motive, can you give the listeners an example of maybe someone you've worked with of what was their, what was their underlying why? Because sometimes I feel like sometimes it's related to trauma in the past or something with our family that was like a real, like it really hit us hard. And so it's always in the background, like it's really deeply instilled. Can you give us an example? Yeah, sure. And I think that that should kind of move into the foreground because when we look at that, again, it increases our drive to be able to pursue and achieve our goal. That, that's the whole outcome of this. You know, each of these steps has got a specific outcome. Like, so for me, like in the Olympics, why did I want to become an Olympian? Uh, well, because I, I wanted to honor my parents for the privilege of a pass through this lifetime. I also had a friend of mine, Randy Grubb, amazing guy. And he was one of the best glass artists on the planet. And then in the financial crisis in 2008, the art world went into a depression and he needed to find another source of income. And he wanted to take care of his family in a way that they deserved to be taken care of. So what Randy decided is that, man, I am so driven to do this because I want to take care of my family. That's a great reason to do something. And so what Randy did, he had a hobby where he uh, handcrafted like hot rods. And so he said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a car from scratch that is so exotic and is so amazing that the magazines will promote this 
Jay Leno's going to hear about it. And Jay's going to buy the car for me for hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's my plan. That and, was the vision. Well, that was more than the vision. The vision is like something on the hill. Right. But, you know, th this was his well-defined, this was his right goal. That's right. how he was going to do it. So 4,500 hours later, 2.5 years later, Jay Leno heard about the car, bought the car for hundreds of thousands of dollars from Randy. And now Randy builds a car every two or three years to a client. And he's the go-to guy. And he's living a life that he never have, could have conceived of previously. And it was all driven by motive because he had the drive to take care of his family and he found a way to do it. Amazing. Can you yeah. talk, can you talk about mindset? I know that's what, like yeah. one of the pieces of preparation. And I think in this day and age, mindset is kind of thrown around loosely, but you know, what does it really mean? And what does it mean in terms of your, your process? Well, mindset in my process is really the champion's mindset versus the human mindset. And the reason why the champion's mindset is important is because it produces the outcome courage. And what I mean by courage is the ability to do those things that have to go right, despite your fear and despite your human response to things that naturally wants to talk you out of everything. You got to have the courage to face that. And we have to know that that's coming with any aspirational goal. And it's all part of our human experience. So simply put, human nature in my observation, actually has two mindsets that are operational simultaneously. The human mindset is our basic survival instincts, our impulses, those things that we do faster than we can think that are common to all of humanity. Humanity and human behavior is, is incredibly predictable because it's based on survival. So there needs to be a high-speed biology that protects us in moments of imminent danger. I'm glad I have that. But the problem is, is that if we're living our life through our human fear-based survival instincts, you're never going to create a life of extraordinary achievement. It isn't going to happen because it's not about achievement. You know, I helped a guy win a gold medal in the Olympics because of this. Two and a half weeks before the Olympic final, he was starting to spiral down and he was leading the world championship and he was able to win the gold medal, but he was starting to mentally unravel. And I told him, here's the problem is that you and your team right now are operating from your human mindset, your fear-based survival instincts, and you guys think that you have to be accountable for every possible detail. That's the only way you're going to put in the perfect jump to win the gold medal. And I'm telling you that what your mind is going to do because you're afraid is that it's going to make up endless details that don't exist, and you're going to put all of your confidence in the details you can't find, therefore you've already lost. That is classic human behavior. And I said, to win the gold medal, you got to think like the champion. You don't chase perfection, but you do the one or two things that have to go right to win. And in this case, since you're leading the world championship, number one, don't change your warm up. You're screwing around with your warm up. It's confusing your body. Your body's scared. It doesn't know what to do now. It's run back in the cave. It can't perform. Get back to your warm up that you've done for the last 20 years. The second thing to do, First four steps to the run-up so your foot hits the board right to get the lift and you're going to win the gold medal. So given an accountability, our human mindset's going to say, well, what do I stand to lose here? I don't know if I want to do this. What if I fail? Champions don't think like that. Champions are, what do I stand to gain here? What are the things that have to go right? So I've actually you know, created a model that is all about the human versus the champion's mindset. And in our champion's mindset, well, how do I know that we have this? Well, I've never met a person that couldn't wait to get up and fail. I've never seen it. 
I know a lot of people that are living lives of kind of desperation or muted lack of confidence because they're not manifesting. But, you know, the idea, our desire and our urge and our primal drive to succeed, I think actually supersedes our desire to uh, live life through our fear-based survival responses. But, you know, because our fear-based is a primal brain response, it's so fast, it's faster than we can think, it gets first dibs at every moment. So naturally, our first choice is going to be towards survival. And everybody tells us, oh yeah, go with your impulse. Really? Well, I'm not so sure about that because our impulse is really survival-based. And if you want to create excellence, well, maybe we should pause here and really look at what are those one or two things that have to go right and let's invest our time there. So I think the idea of uh, gratitude journals and positive thinking and affirmations are all essential. Absolutely. Essential, like non-negotiable. They're non-negotiable. But in addition to that, without a battle hardening and an understanding of our human nature and its biology and knowing what the adversary is in that response, then we're at a severe disadvantage because I know a lot of people that do all those other things, but then when they step onto the pavement where they're really facing people, places, and things in real time in life, they don't have the skill to be able to step into it and do that which has to go right, right. which is the definition of the champion's mindset. Right. So, why do you think some people show up with a champion's mindset? So when I think of what you're talking about in terms of showing up with courage, I think of how we have these different responses to challenges or stress. So like the fight or flight, the tender befriend, and then the elite who really show up with courage. Is that? It's trained. It's trained. It's, trained. it's, trained. it's a discipline. Yeah. 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 Okay. It, 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 is, it is because... Our biology, you cannot turn off the human mindset, the fear-based survival instinct, you know, which you said, the fight or flight. It's, it's one and the same. Yeah. What it is, you cannot perform at your best with that. It's not possible because right. your mind races. You try to make contingencies for everything. You can't think fast enough to organize everything that has to go right to win. It's a catastrophe. And so, again, that goes back to training. And when we learn the process and we understand our biology, and we know how to prepare ourselves to step into this, and we've rehearsed it. You know, we talk about confidence. Confidence is really knowing that you can do it. Well, how do we do that? Well, in rehearsals that we do that aren't live, but are simulations of live, as we progressively build the skill and we can demonstrate that we can do it in rehearsal, then we start to intensify the environment. And all of a sudden, hey, I can do this. And so that when we show up and we have to perform under stress, we know it's coming because we're prepared for it rather than being taken by surprise in cave. Yeah. For the champion's mindset, because we are the company we keep, the people we surround ourselves with. How do we, yeah, part of it. How do we find those like-minded people that have a well-trained, disciplined champion's mindset? Like, are there certain questions or qualities? Obviously, this idea of almost like failing forward, Failure is okay. It's how we learn and how we grow. Like, how would you recognize that in someone else? I would say two things about this, and these are great questions, by the way. What, what a great conversation! You know, thanks for the thanks for the privilege. By the way, it's just delightful. The first thing is is that look at what your aspirations are. Look at your right goals that you've decided, and then look at somebody that's either achieved something similar, 
and then you go to them and you study them and see what they've done. You always surround yourself with higher. That's what wow. I tell my daughter. You know, we adopted our daughter from Columbia at the age of 10, 10 years ago. Now she comes from the worst conceivable human experience and the cruelty that she was exposed to is almost like criminal. But, you know, I, I, as her mentor, always be one step ahead of her so that she could see the process. And we have really encouraged her and we put her in situations where people that have done what she aspires to and her talents lend themselves to where she can kind of see the future as a model to then put herself into to gain the experience and wisdom of others without failing fast. You know, I think you should try to fail as least as possible because that has its own challenges, you know, and kind of just another thing on the, uh, the champion side of it is that, you know, they don't step onto the field until they're ready. Mm. And I feel that you don't want to put yourself in too much failure harm's way too soon, because if it's too much too soon, then your confidence may erode a little bit and you may be capable of doing it, but the exposure was a little bit too quick. And I would say that another thing is that when we put ourselves in the presence of people that have done things that we aspire to, it helps us get over our self-consciousness about what we feel about ourselves and how we may appear to them. Because the reality is, true, I was talking with my daughter, I got goosebumps thinking about this all over my body right now. <laughs> Seriously, you should see these things. <laughs> I was uh, talking to my daughter last night. Uh, she has a final a presentation tomorrow in school. And we were talking about, you know, this idea of, of performing big. And I said to her, you're ready for this because of your preparation. She showed me her PowerPoint and she's been tenacious uh, because she spends a lot of time with the instructors refining her abilities. She didn't even speak English 10 years ago. And we didn't speak Spanish when we adopted her. Imagine that. Oh, my God. So we started with primitive sign language. Wow. So again, I want to emphasize is that, as I told my daughter, I said, your professors want to help you. People of stature that have massive reputations, they're begging to share their wisdom with people, but people are afraid to approach them because of they may feel out of context. But I can only say that if you're sincere and you're committed, you respect people's time, Man, there are people out there that play so big that want to help. Please take the time to do that because the generosity of people that play at the top is unfathomable. How has being a parent changed? And maybe it hasn't changed, but how is it? Because obviously parenting is a challenge. <laughs> Hardest thing ever, man. The Hardest thing ever. Easy compared to parenting. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. How, how is it? Has it changed your perception of this preparation and this, you know, showing up to perform at your highest, like, has it, has it changed at all? Well, it's reinforced everything that I've learned mm -hmm. preceding, you know, the adoption of our daughter, because, you know, for me, the horrific circumstances of her early years created a whole other host of challenges that, that we needed to, to deal with. And, um, you know, again, I've learned so much from this, just, quickly I'd like to share, but number one, yeah. you can love you can love anybody. You just decide you're going to do it and you do it. The other thing is, is that we can only do what we can do for people. There's a certain part of life's battle that people have to fight for themselves. 
to be able to learn the lessons and to be like self-manifestors. I've also learned that you always have enough energy to do anything on behalf of someone else. You know, where energy gets tough is when everything is in self-interest because that's usually just generally all frustration because it's never fast enough, you know? And I've also learned, you know, for me, because uh, I, we adopted her when I was 58 at the height of my career. And when we adopted her, the challenges were significant, so much so that I had to take the bandwidth of my career and shrink it down to like maybe 10% of what I was used to doing to be able to service the obligation to her, which I was fully committed to being unwilling to be away and have a potential backslide from her where we had fought so hard for her future, bringing her through and away from and healing from the horrendous harm that was done to her. And so for me, people say, well, wasn't that a sacrifice? You know, it really wasn't because I was called to it. And anytime I'm called to something, I step into it 100%. I'm not a half dad. So even though I was operating at 10%, I was still playing at the same altitude. But I really felt like this would give God an opportunity to show a bigger, faster way for me to a better. And I was completely okay with that. And so the idea of kids, I mean, I personally believe that Unless we are exposed to a severe challenge that's unrelenting over time that we can't drag into the ring and beat up, where we become almost subservient to it, that's an essential life rite of passage because we all have so much more within us. But when life is too good, people don't change. There's no reason to go deeper, to find a deeper us if life is too good. And so, I've learned that because it certainly called forth uh, something in myself and my wife that was there, but we didn't have access to it prior because the challenge for us as humans was of lesser magnitude than it was. So I would only say to people that, you know, in your worst moment, you may not believe it, but that's maybe your best opportunity because you will be forced to look at things in a different way. That on the other side of that, your best work will absolutely 100% manifest. Yeah. I'd love to talk about this idea of um, like life's so good, like almost like we live like a very cushy life. Yeah, absolutely. Especially right. like we're in New York, like food is on every single corner. Um, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> why do you think it's important to challenge that? norm and schedule things to make ourselves uncomfortable because that is not where the brain goes first is i need to make myself uncomfortable i need to train survival yeah Yeah, we're going going to survival it's all about me because if i don't do what i do for me then me is going to disappear yeah and and that's our our most primal fear is fear of being left alone Mm. with nobody to share life with it's just a dark gray tunnel no ups no downs no nothing no texture And I get that. But again, that's a fear-based survival instinct, which means that you can never perform at your best because it's fear-based. It's all about me. It's kind of like hoarding. Mm -hmm. I actually feel like, you know, one of the exercises, like I told an athlete once, this guy had massive talent, but he was underperforming. Actually, I had two athletes like that. And I said to the first one, I said, you know what? You're putting way too much confidence in your food and in your supplements. You know, you're giving them the power to do for you what you should be doing for yourself. 
So moving forward for the next month, no supplements, and you're going to eat garbage. And he looked at me like, oh my God, you're kidding. How can I perform? I said, that's precisely the point. You got to understand that it's up to you to show up and get the job done. So your first assignment is you're going to go to Baskin and Robbins and you're going to get a bowl of ice cream, three scoops, and then you're going to get a piece of pie. And I'm going to have my phone with me and you're going to call me up and you're going to tell me what the experience was. I said, are you kidding? I said, no, we'll talk with you later. Click. And so he called me up later and uh, he, you know, he was sort of laughing on the phone. I said, well, what'd you have? I said, well, I had Rocky Road, I had chocolate mint chip and Jamocha almond fudge. I said, well, you know, three of my favorites, way to go. What was the pie? It was pecan. I said, well, how was it? He said, man, it was the most amazing experience ever. And I said, what did you learn from this? Well, I didn't die. I said, yeah, right. Well, welcome back. So then he went out and he performed really well. He had the best season ever. So my my point is about this is that I, I feel like, you know, we need to purposely schedule things that make us afraid on our calendar. And we need to learn to uh, encounter them, you know, do something different that you've never done before, kind of face the awkwardness of that and learn to get over that. And we need to also schedule, you know, like, how about like, I told my wife, why don't you go without makeup for a couple of days? I know, but what will people think of me? Well, I mean, you're you, right? So why don't we just kind of do an experiment here on this? So again, I think we need to systematically dispel some of these myths where we have these crutches. You know, and we give ourselves a, a chance to go deeper to see what's really there. Because what's there is so rich. I mean, there's a pot of gold so deep within all of us. It's just begging to find a way to the surface. And we can facilitate that. You know, rather than snivel about your oatmeal being too cold, just put it in the blender and drink it. It's the same <laughs> stuff in your stomach anyhow, right? <laughs> what other kind of challenges or things that you schedule that are uncomfortable maybe for yourself or because when I think of some of my friends that have scheduled uncomfortable things, it's like carrying a 50 pound pack for like 10 miles on the weekend or. You should do it personally where it challenges you as an individual. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's more like an athletic challenge. Yeah. You know, like what, one of the things I did, I actually went to a men's society meeting because I wanted to see what that was like. So I went there and there were guys playing, you know, 10 games of chess with themselves and other guys, doing physics questions and things like that. And it was, you know, really different for me, but it was enlightening when I left there, like feeling like I was a, a better person because I, I really learned something. And I, I think we need to schedule uncomfortable and get over it because if you're self-conscious, you can't step into big. It's not possible. I'm not saying being reckless, you know, there's reckless. Well, I'm just going to do it because I just know I can overcome anything. That's a bad idea, you know, but I feel like we need to, Schedule being uncomfortable. So we learn to deal with it. The other thing you asked for a second example, I would say don't schedule things on your calendar. Make your calendar really empty. So you're scared. It's like, oh my God, there's nothing on here. I mean, what's going to happen to me? Because there's nothing down. How can I keep up? Leave it open. Scare yourself because what you're going to find is because you didn't crowd it with a bunch of junk when you get to it, you didn't want to do anyhow. Then you ask yourself, why did I put that down? Because I didn't want to do that anyhow. But there was empty space and it just made me feel better to put something in there. Yeah. And so what you'll find is that when you get there and you look three months in advance and it's kind of empty, when you get there, there will be things that will reveal themselves that you can put down. Now you got space for them to land. 
So that's another example of that. So in a certain sense, I guess what we're doing, we're, we're calling each other per, to a different level of the warrior game. It's us, you know, the physical us is kind of one frontier, but then there's the emotional soul us that's another frontier. You know, in meditation and all that, I think that's good, again. But I think to develop the skill where you're able to fight the fight on the pavement of life as it unfolds moment by moment and come up with the right stuff under pressure where you don't cave, I think that's another level of engagement. You know, the pavement of life as it unfolds. And I'm a big fan of that because when we do that, then we develop a certain level of self-confidence and understanding of ourselves. How do we start to change our mindset to not be overwhelmed or overcome or held hostage by our emotions? It's a great question. There are two things, in my opinion, and, and this is, I'm not saying this to be self-serving, but the program that I've created, the Goal Achievement Roadmap, it's a methodology that's geared towards helping you achieve your goals consistently, predictably, and repeatedly. That's life's essential skill. If we cannot achieve our goals, our life proportionally is diminished. Goal setting is not goal achievement. We have to learn that skill. And I've also created what I call the champion's ascension ladder. You know, like you go up the rungs of a ladder like a black belt. And the first black belt rung is to become a repeat achiever which is what my program is, goal, uh, is uh, geared towards. When you can tick off your goals like clockwork, you're a black belt, you're on the ladder, but then you can move up to top of field, master, champion, and then achieve full potential player. And I feel like with structure that history has proven to advance us towards our bigger future, those are the things that we should look at. Because our emotions, we've discussed earlier, they're generally survival-based. If we really look at it, survival-based doesn't mean life of excellence. It means life of survival. Mm. Look, here's the deal. It's like, I, I really feel like people, at least for me, I, I don't want to be human in a sense where I'm natural. Because natural is fear, natural is everybody else. We're all have more than that. I want to be personally supernatural, not for my own sake, but to honor the privilege and to thank the people that have helped me to showcase to other people like what's possible to call them to a higher game. So to learn to achieve your goals is life's fundamental skill. And then when we get on the ladder, then we can climb the ladder to whichever level that we aspire to. And that's like a personal decision. Here's the other side to this, is that anything good has to be applied to be maintained. Because if we don't apply it to maintain it, then we all drift back to our natural state of being, which is a sniveling, complaining whiner, generally speaking, that really is a manifestation of, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what my life is going to become. I'm afraid of what my legacy will be. I'm afraid of the quality of experience that I will have missed. That's really what that's saying in my mind. And so for me, learn to achieve your goals first, get on the ladder, surround yourself with people that play at the level or higher that you aspire to, 
stay in the game, apply those things that have to go right that history has shown us need to be continually applied to get us to where we want to go. And when we do that, then we start to gain confidence in our ability. And then we become a magnet and a beacon for other people because they're going to wonder, how'd you do it? And then we can give them something that will allow them to create a life of passion, purpose, productivity, and also prosperity. I feel like you see so much potential in others that most don't even see in themselves. That's true because remember human nature, remember the natural state, the natural state is that we trust in our ability to fail more than our ability to win. And I learned that when I was in graduate school at the University of Southern California, I'd show up at an exam at the room there and the professor, before the professor got there to open the door, everybody would be in the halls quizzing each other. Like, what'd you do on this? Let me do that. And then, you know, frantically going through their notes. And, you know, as an Olympian, the closer you get to a competition, the more you unclutter your mind and you rest a bit so that those things can be accessible to you when you have to peak perform. And what I realized there is that they were trying to cram the 5% of information they didn't know into their head that they put 100% of their confidence in. And when they took the test, the last five minutes of the test, you hear all the people erasing their scantrons and changing all the right answers to wrong answers because they were confused because they put their confidence in what they didn't know and they didn't need to know because 90% is still an A. You don't need the extra 5%. Yeah. So that's kind of the methodology. You know, If we get a 90% right across the board, as long as we know what that is. Yeah. If I could just say something here, you know, I'm 68 and uh, I don't know what 68 is supposed to feel like. I don't know what it's supposed to look like. I got a 20 year old daughter. I love her to pieces, but my passion and why I'm still in the game is that I'm really committed because I really believe that I want everybody to have a chance to experience what it's like to play at their full potential. I had a chance to do that as an Olympian. And I can only say that goosebumps times two now is that it is euphoric playing at your full potential. It's like time slows down. You have everything at your fingertips. And the most important thing that I learned from that was that playing at your full potential is possible. It's elusive if we play it through the human mindset path. We can't get there. Goal setting is not goal achievement. But if we know how to achieve goals, we know how to prepare, we know how to perform, we have the right goal, we have the champion's mindset. We know the challenges that are coming so we don't misinterpret them and talk ourselves out of great things. You know, then we really have a chance to move up the ladder towards our full potential. And that's why I'm still in the game. I love it. How can people work with you? How do they find you and how do they work with you? Because <laughs> well, it's thanks. such important work. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, thank you so much for this. Um, I'm kind of emerging now from a 10-year self-imposed exile raising my daughter. And that's why people haven't kind of heard about me because I couldn't be available at the level of notoriety because that would take away from me raising my daughter. But now the game has changed. And Uncle Jeff is now coming out of obscurity <laughs> uh, back into the level of play that he previously had. A couple things that uh, I would certainly offer. People can certainly go to my website, which is www.drjeffspencer.com. But you can also put a forward slash and then after that put roadmap. And that'll take you uh, to a link 
that will share with you the opportunity to uh, engage in the Goal Achievement Roadmap experience. And uh, certainly emails, jeff at drjeffspencer.com are welcome. We do also have a Champions Club uh, private uh, coaching group that's available as well. And people that may be interested in that, it's a virtual process, can certainly reach out to me again at jeff at drjeffspencer.com. And I'll drop the jeffspencer.com slash roadmap in the show notes so people can Great. find Great. That would be fantastic. Yeah. And you have a beautiful website, by the way. I was in my head this past week. Uh, oh, man. Thank you. <laughs> can I tell you a story about that? Yeah. What? You're from New York, right? Yep. New York's important to me for a lot of reasons. That's where my dad lived out the last years of his life. But I was also a nationally known glass artist. People don't know that about me. I wow. showed in the best galleries in New York City. And so, again, I, I love the city. I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks. Nice. Again, thank you for that. I appreciate your kind thoughts and uh, just such a delightful conversation that we've had. Yeah. Jeff, thank you so much. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.